OTB Rugby. One of the best wingers in the world. One of the best Irish wingers of all time. He's done it. Of course he can do it again. It's just very, very important to be able to exit well against big teams and get down its territory game. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. Off the ball, daily. Hello there, you're very welcome on. We have a great show for you this evening. We have Colin Boyle and Darren O'Sullivan on the uh, weekend's quarterfinals. Wimbledon is underway. We will set up the next fortnight for you with the brilliant Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine. Matt Williams is with us as well as uh, over the weekend, Six Nations and Sanzar announced what looks like, in fairness, a brilliant new biennial tournament. There'll be games across July and November every two years pitting the world's best against each other the lines remains very much intact so it does seem generally to have gone down very well with people so we'll see what Matt Williams has to make of it we'll ask him about the ashes yesterday as well 53106 the text number we are at off the ball on Twitter Richie McCormick good evening to you Joseph how are you? very well and just like Dublin and Kerry he only really starts making appearances getting serious about his business around the first weekend of July Dave McIntyre hello Evening, lads. How are we doing? Very well. So, quarterfinal weekend, Dave. I know you were at Crow Park on Saturday for GA Go. We, I think, in the main, saw two statement performances from Dublin and Kerry is the consensus. Monaghan do what they do. Everybody loves Conor McManus. Uh, very painful for Armagh. Derry, very controlled against uh, Cork. Probably always going to win that one. And then Mayo and Tyrone with plenty of soul-searching to do, I would think. That's the, the general summary of quarter-final weekend. Yeah, I think you've, it's, it's a pretty good summation. You come up with there, Joe. Kerry were superb on Saturday. Comfortably the best performance they've delivered in 2023, and obviously it's coming at the right time as well. I was left using hindsight rather as a crutch to lean on after the game, however, because it's finally dawned on me. And um, as, as someone who's from Dublin and has parents from Cavan, I am as entitled to any Kerry man or woman to be paranoid when it comes to Tyrone over the last 25, 30 years because Tyrone have inflicted an awful lot of hurt on Cavan and Dublin football fans in that time span. And in hindsight, we only gave Tyrone a chance on Saturday because they were Tyrone. And no other real reason. It wasn't really based in reality or fact. It wasn't based in the now. It wasn't based on their form over the last two months. They were within the John Heslin free of exiting the championship at the group stage. Why did we think they could come to Croke Park and beat the All-Ireland champions? Because they're Tyrone. And because they found a way to do it on so many occasions over the years, going all the way back to the early days of the Mickey Hart reign. But they were completely outclassed. It's as physical a performance as I've seen from Kerry in a long, long time. Even when they were winning the All-Ireland in 2014 or 2022, the amount of dispossessions, the amount of turnovers, the amount of fist-type balls that were knocked out of Tyrone ball handlers, uh, ball carriers, the amount of times Tyrone were turned over while on the offensive in Kerry territory was incredible. That was the difference between Mm. the teams in 2021 and it was the difference between the teams again yesterday. And the team that comfortably won the turnover battle won the game. Uh, Dublin, like Kerry, saved their best performance of the year for the All-Ireland quarterfinal. Um, It was a proper spanking in the second half in particular that has set Mayo back a little and I think reality setting in for them as well as to the amount of work they have to do to close the gap. And what is suddenly looking like a top two, because go back seven to ten days, I was remarking to more than one person how I hadn't felt the All-Ireland Championship was as open as this for many, many years. And you could make an argument maybe for six or seven teams to certainly get to a semi, if not a final. 
And yet here we are, Dublin and Kerry, the mm. two form teams going into the <laughs> All-Ireland semi-finals. And the more things change, they say the same. Yes. Well, I think, and again, it is all with the benefit of hindsight, but it does feel on this Monday after the weekend that was that Kerry and Dublin, Jack O'Connor and Desi Farrell, way back when, did circle the f- first weekend of July and say, realistically, come what may, doesn't really matter, we'll be there. Everything is geared towards prepping for that and peaking for that because they both came like there was such a physicality and like you could just you just physically see the difference in Kerry um, preparation wise and every other way as well. And similar to Dublin, they just looked like a team that had been gearing for this weekend the whole way through. And we've kind of spent the last three, four, five months over reading into iffy performances, whereas I think behind the scenes, privately, they might have said it's all irrelevant. Wait, it would talk to us in July. Yeah, it's and the structure of the championship allows Dublin and Kerry, or the Dublins and Kerrys of the GA world, to to reduce these games to an irrelevance. Because in years gone by, prior to the qualifier system and prior to the Super Eights and prior to this new group structure, Kerry putting in a performance like they did against Mayo, they'd be out of the championship. They would be done, and there would be a new All Ireland champions crown this year. But they get the opportunity to throw in an iffy enough performance. Well terrible performance against Mayo. They didn't really shoot the lights out in any of their games, really, unless they beat Cork comfortably. But there were times where I thought there was still an awful lot for Kerry to work on. Dublin have played one Division 1 team all year before yesterday, and that was a drawn game against Roscommon that they were probably fortunate enough to come away with the draw. But they have all of this time to work their way through the system and to work their way through the year. They played Division 2 football this year. They beat Derry in the final, the only big performance they really needed to put in. They were beaten by Derry in the uh, regular season of the league. They didn't really impress against Kildare. The Loud game was a washout. So was the Leash game. And they were really poor for long periods against Roscommon. But as you say, they were just you know, putting a path it together that would take them to the All-Ireland quarterfinal where they would come to play. Mm. And that's exactly what they did. And now they go into a semi-final with Monaghan, overwhelming favourites. No one will give Monaghan a chance. And you fully expect Dublin to be in the All-Ireland final again where they haven't been since they won the six in a row. And a chance to gain some revenge, pr- probably over a Kerry team that beat them in that epic semi-final last year. Although I am sure there are some Derry listeners that are thinking, oh, hang on. Since the uh, curtain fell on yesterday's quarterfinals, all the talk has been around Dublin and Kerry. What about Derry? Back-to-back Ulster Championships. I've made it to the All-Ireland semi-final for the second consecutive year. Comfortable against Cork. Why shouldn't they be considered a team that's very much in the mix? Yes. So how do you think the final will go between Dublin and Kerry? Uh, (laughs) Rich, even when he scores only a point from play, Clifford steals the show. What a moment. Yeah, he's just, he's he's a phenomenon. He really is, and he's he's one of those people that you you pay your money to turn up and and watch yeah. uh, watch him play these games. Like he has turned into that kind of marquee prospect, where even the I don't know, even people who aren't interested necessarily in the game, or people who don't have a stake in the game, are are, are tempted to turn over because oh, it's something that David Clifford is playing in, and that's that's something really special. And that's something to to behold, and it's kind of I guess in stark contrast to to yesterday, I guess without wanting to pick on him, but you know, we always thought that Aidan O'Shea would be that guy for Mayo and. Saw him drift into the the background of yesterday's game to the point where he was he was taken off. Um, yeah, but Clifford, who's who's stopping him, Joe? I know, it's a beautiful thing uh, to see him. Uh, There's the full array, and uh, even Jack O'Connor said just before the moment 
he uh, thought that two Tyrone players were about to absolutely smash him on the sideline. Like everything <laughs> was against him there. There was nothing in his favour. And he conjures that up. So, um, yeah, like I said, even when he scores just a point from play, he kind of steals the show in uh, certain respects. Although, I think Conor McManus can say, hang on a second, it was my weekend. We should um, bring people a sense of what's going on in the world, Richie. It is that time of year. Strawberries and cream. Strawberries and cream, indeed. And rain delays, Joe. Uh, a rain delay provided the only real resistance to Novak Djokovic's march into the Wimbledon second round today. The defending men's champion beat the Argentine Pedro Cachin 6-3, 6-3, And Djokovic will play Jordan Thompson in round two. Fourth seed Kasparud given a small fright today, dropping the second set en route to a four-set victory over the world number 199, Laurent Lacoli. Seventh seed Andrei Rublev will face fellow Russian Aslan Karatsev following a straight-sets win today over Max Purcell. Igor Sviantek breezed into round two with a 6-1, 6-3 win over China's Zhu Lin. Next up for the women's top seed is Spain's Sara Saribes Tormo. The four-time Grand Slam champion now says she's feeling less pressure this time around at SW19. The thing is that last year I just felt like um, I still have this streak going. And after Ran Garros, kind of everybody was talking about that. Um, and, uh, And it was a lot kind of on my shoulders when I got into the tournament. Obviously, I, I tried to kind of uh, just work through it and not really focus on that, what I usually do, you know, because really I'm not looking at numbers or stats. But um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy, especially, you know, having just... I, I just played one tournament on grass and um, last year, that's why I think it was a little bit more tricky because I felt like rusty kind of... Um, Mentally, in terms of the focus, uh, tennis-wise, because I didn't play any matches on grass, so um, so I think this year is much more comfortable for me. And um, for sure, winning a Grand Slam this year, it feels like I kind of reached my goal, and I was really kind of happy, and I could celebrate after, you know. But last year, uh, I just felt more expectations. Uh, elsewhere today, women's fourth seed Jessica Bagula needed three sets to beat her fellow American Lauren Davis, and she'll play Christina Buxha next. In the same section of the draw, 15 seed Ludmilla Sampson lost in straight sets to Anna Bogdan. The fifth seed Carlene Garcia must face former US Open finalist Leila Fernandez next, following a 6 4 6 3 win over Katie Volinets, the brilliantly named. Uh, Alina Svitolina is uh, set to love and 5 2 up on Venus Williams, the 43 year old five time champion there. Uh, while the seventh seed Coco Goff has lost the first seed uh, first set even pardon me of her match with her fellow American Sophia Kennan on court number one we'll be talking to Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine in the next hour you mentioned Djokovic so fresh from winning at Roland Garros and in Australia he now has a Grand Slam season in his sights and he is going for a fifth Wimbledon title in a row that would be his eighth Wimbledon in total which moves him level with Roger Federer his last defeat at Wimbledon is 2016 and as you mentioned Rich as well uh, if he wins Wimbledon, that's 24 Grand Slams total. That moves him level with Margaret Court's record. So he's in that uh, amazing stage of his career where every Grand Slam win now is a new milestone. So we'll talk to Caitlin in the next hour. Nathan Collins, all good, I presume, at Brentford? Seems to be, yeah. Nathan Collins has been undergoing a medical today ahead of signing for Brentford. The Republic of Ireland defender will become the London club's record signing at €27 million. The fee would eclipse Collins' own record as Ireland's most expensive ever player, which he uh, broke, of course, with his move to Wolves a couple of years ago. Yeah, it feels like a very good move for him, Dave. He should play football rather than hanging out on the Wolves substitute bench for the next two, three years, potentially. 
Yeah, it is a good move for him. It is a pity the Wolves move didn't really work out. It started pretty well, but obviously they had a managerial change then pretty soon into the season. And Lovatague, we never really seemed to fancy him. And to be fair to the manager, Wolves were going very badly. That was the reason they, on more than one occasion, tried to bring him in in the first place. He's a really progressive manager now that he's working under at Brentford, who still appear to be a club on the up, although it's going to become increasingly difficult for them to be able to better the result they posted each previous season. They're not going to have Ivan Tony when the new season starts either, for for uh, obvious reasons. But if he, if it gets him playing regularly again, great. Um, I think it's the perfect club for him, and it should come just in time for Ireland to have him back playing regularly when it comes to those huge games now in September. Hopefully he's got a good preseason under his belt and he can continue to develop a forward-looking trajectory, which has certainly stalled in the last six months. Yeah. Rich, dates and times announced for those football semi-finals. Yeah. Uh, first up, the meeting of Dublin and Monaghan on Saturday, July 15th. That's going to have a half-five throw-in. Monaghan beat our man penalties on Saturday evening while that strong second-half performance saw Dublin brush Mayo aside yesterday. Mayo manager Kevin McStay was asked about their poor start to the second period. Their press on our kickout was was very very good. We we got a we got a bit of joy, but not not enough joy. And uh, it's it's frightening <laughs> when they when when they press up on you. And again, I would say you know we have a, that's a, a a rookie goalie like he's a baby goalie in terms of of um, championship and, and and senior experience. But what he's done this year has been really really good for Mayo. And and you know he he can be Mayo's. One of Mayo's big keepers the next ten years if he wants to be. So he's had a he's had an overall season that he has to re, he has to reflect and see the good parts as well. But the big 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 experience for him today uh, to come up against that press and he, by and large he managed it. But it, it, it was a tough it was a tough. We, certainly they were getting theirs much easier than we were getting ours. It was an amazing couple of minutes. Uh, McCarthy off the throw in sets up the Mannion point. Basquiat, who had a brilliant game, obviously, then scores great point from the right-hand side on his left foot. Then Fenton pops up, fits over a point. And it was, it was interesting, even on the TV commentary, Eamon Fitzmaurice said, Mayo just need to get the ball here. Next time the ball goes dead, they might go short with a kick out just to hold it. And the goal happened. And it's a seven-point lead and it's over. And like there's no oxygen. And, uh, you know, that was kind of Dublin at their devastating best, and then that like, started before half time though as well. Like there yeah. was an incident where Reap was bringing the ball out, and they must have moved the ball about fifteen yards for the expense of about three four passes between uh, Reap and his um, and his full back line, and they were making these runs that were cross pitches, taking 30, 40 yards out of their legs for absolutely no reason, and they nearly conceded a goal from that chance and it was it was needless like because up until that point they'd actually been really effective against Dublin and they'd been doing you know a lot of really direct play look at that repass to Ryan O'Donoghue sending over a point from about 40 yards like they were they were grand I thought for the first 30 minutes Mayo and then capitulated capitulated and love to know why yeah I mean, it was really callow in that second half really weak willed yeah I know it's it's a, it's a curious one people pointed fatigue maybe just maybe deep down they know the game is over after that first five six seven eight minutes first or uh, the start of the second half but um, like I agree on, on Mayo first half a lot of great look how they responded after they, that first goal yeah like they, they, they should have been they did that um that 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 uh, sense of um, what you call it the momentum behind Dublin that should have built after that goal just never happened. Yeah. And when it didn't, and May were you know keeping parity, I was thinking, oh, here we go, this is actually going to be pretty interesting in the second half. And for whatever reason, in those last few minutes before the halftime whistle, and then at the start of the second half, Mayo shrunk, and yeah. it was really really awful to watch from that point point of view. Because first half, 
Aidan O'Shea is getting the better in the main of Davy Byrne. A few turnovers against O'Shea, but he's catching lots of high ball. He's assisting mm. points. He's very, he's a real life threat. Ryan O'Donoghue is on top of Owen Merchant. He's having a great game. Tommy Con- Conroy is on top of Mick Fitzsimons. So every time, Fitz- you know, that's not a good one-on-one for Fitzsimons. And there was that memorable moment. McCarthy dragged Conroy down and got an early yellow card. And then at the other end, Basquiat's doing very well in O'Hara, but then they make that change early. Hessian comes on and uh, McBride is doing very well on Con and they're they're more than breaking even at midfield they fifty five percent possession like I I'd say at half time Dave May are almost thinking geez we should be winning yeah well it's always been the case in these games against Dublin over the last ten years Joe that Mayo have got the better of them for large periods of the first half yeah. and yet I've had just not enough to show for it yes yeah. they were very good at times yesterday but they were losing at half time. And it again comes back to the Mayo forward line. They've never been able to score heavily enough to really do damage to a team that they're on top of. Mm. And I remember the semi-final in 2019 where they came racing out of the blocks and they were 8-6 up at halftime, having been comfortably the better team in the in the first half. Two points just wasn't enough. The game was over five minutes into the second half. Uh, for me, the big story of Dublin this year has been Colin Pascal. Uh, where has this lad come from? He made his debut in the championship five years ago. The game against Leash in the opening round of the Leinster Championship this year was his first championship appearance in two years. He reminds me of the Ray Cosgrove summer of 2002 where he just can't miss. Every time he gets a chance, he seems to have the confidence, the time and the belief that he's going to stick it away. Um, he took his two goals yesterday so well. The first one in particular when he caught that long ball in. He's adding a two or three points from play to his performances as well. And this is a guy who has been really a stellar player in Dublin Senior Club Championship over the last four or five seasons, but many didn't really feel he just had that extra gear to click into that was required to be a success at inter-county level. Well, this season he's showing that that, I don't know what the reasons for it are, whether he's changed something, it would be interesting to sit down and chat to him and get a real insight yeah. into what has been different for him. Is it down to Desi Farrell? Something going very right for them, and he has always been like a new acquisition, even though he's far from a rookie. It feels like he is this year, like almost like the the belief that or the impact that Sherlock had in 95. Pascal is coming in, and suddenly, in a forward line that could potentially have Mannion and Khan and Kieran Kilkenny, he and Costello, he's leading the way. Yes, at 27 years of age, overnight sensation. Fellas, stay with us. Very short ad break, and then we'll continue the news round. Back in one sec. Now then, you're very welcome back. We're continuing the news rent. Uh, busy show on the way. We'll talk tennis with Caitlin Thompson. We'll talk uh, GEA with Darren O'Sullivan and Colin Boyle very shortly. Matt Williams on the football show. And just to mention as well, you may have seen The Athletic uh, published a lengthy piece today about Vera Pau's time at Houston Dash. And they spoke anonymously to four former Dash players and three staff about uh, her season in charge. And those players and staff were critical of Pau's approach. The FEI have released a statement saying they remain uh, fully focused on supporting Vera and the women's team as they continue their preparation for the first uh, World Cup in Australia and we will not be making any further comment on this article. We have reached out to the um, journalists who worked on that piece for The Athletic and we're going to speak to one of them on tomorrow night's show so we will come to that story in due course. Dave McIntyre, Richie McCormack are uh, still with us. Rich, the other um, semi-final course on the Sunday? Yeah, Derry going to play Kerry on Sunday, July 16th. That will have a 4pm start. Kerry proved too strong for Tyrone on Saturday, as Dave mentioned there. Well, Derry beat Cork by four points yesterday. Oakleaf manager Kieran Mina was asked by Ashton O'Reilly if they've proved doubters wrong that they can't perform at HQ. 
think that's very unfair commentary. You know, um, it's it's cheap and it's uh, it's, uh, it's it's easy to say that. You know, we've played here now. This is our fifth time in, in under two years to play here. These players have played Hogan Cup finals. They've played a lot of the minor finals here. They've played a lot of underage football here. Um, they're they're well familiar with it. Uh, we said that coming in today. We're coming to Crow Park, and it's it's, it's it's starting to become a habit for us. We like coming here. Um, I think our players, in terms of athletically, in terms of the physical nature of our players, I think we're built to play in Crow Park. But that's just my opinion. I know there's a a lot of commentary to the contrary out there, but so be it. Um, hopefully, it'll be nice if we could keep proving people wrong, you know. Yeah, and there was a moment in the game when Conor Doherty got the goal. It came from Rory Maguire was up the other end. He got a goal in the next yeah. attack. Derry went down and scored. How yeah. satisfying was it to oh, react that, like that? Look, actually, that was huge. Uh, it wasn't just the three points. It was the psychological nature of it. We spoke about that. We spoke about in the last number of games how dangerous Cork were on momentum, particularly when they turned over off their heavy press and kickouts, and when they turned you over and if they got big scores they tended to we talked talked about that we knew it was going to happen during the game but it was about how we responded so in terms of Connor going up the, the, the field and getting a, get, getting a goal from it it was worth more than three points it was a huge psychological blow to, to Cork and for us from that point on it was for the ability to manage the game out then so yeah it was it was very very satisfying We'll talk to Colin Ball and Darren O'Sullivan in due course I don't think they enjoyed that game as uh, much as you have to give thumbs up to what the Derry footballers uh, did the lads didn't find it the most thrilling contest do you feel, Dave, of Derry or Monaghan either has a better chance in the semi-final in particular? Um, look, they're running into a Kerry team that obviously played some brilliant stuff on Saturday afternoon. I I would give Derry a chance because they're an incredibly difficult team to play against. They're unbelievably organised and well-drilled. But on an off day, I would give Kerry the nod every time. Mm. I, I'm not sure where the argument comes that Derry are in unable to succeed in Croke Park. It's more that they haven't actually had their statement win in Croke Park yet. I mean, the two championship wins have come against a Clare team that were demolished very early in an All-Ireland quarterfinal and against a Cork team that's really only starting to turn the ship around in the last 12 months and were beaten by Clare in the Munster Championship this year. And I, I still have an awful lot of road to travel down if they're to become a Division 1 team and they only actually finished 4th or 5th in Division 2 this season so until they actually take out a big gun in Croke Park that is going to be something people will say when is the last time Derry won a big championship match at HQ they haven't done it yet under Gallagher and Mina it could be 2 weeks time but until that happens people will say that this Derry team have yet to actually take that ex- extra step yeah, I think that's uh, fair. Rich, do you want to give us last story or two? As uh, you mentioned that Alina Svitolina has indeed beaten Venus Williams and now Coco Goff up a break in the second set of her match with Sophia Kennan, having lost the first set there. But Newcastle have made Sandro Tonali the most expensive Italian player of all time. They've paid AC Milan 70 million euro for the 23-year-old midfielder. Tonali has signed a five-year contract at St. James's Park. While former Republic of Ireland international Stephen Reid has rejoined the coaching staff at Nottingham Forest, the ex-Blackburn midfielder returns as a first-team coach, a role that he held when Forest Forest won promotion from the championship in 2022. Reid left last season to become a specialist coach, offering support to players around mental well-being, confidence and leadership. And he spoke about that as well on the show here recently. And uh, Jasper Philipson won today's third stage of the Tour de France, getting the better of a sprint finish into Bayonne. Adam Yates retains the leader's yellow jersey with a six-second lead over the two-time champion Tade Pogacar. Very good. We are just about out of time. Richie, thanks a mil. Appreciate it. Nice and lads. Dave McIntyre, thank you. Thank you, guys.